0: Okay, let's pray before we start the last uh, plenary. Father in heaven, as we come to your word, we come as sinners saved by grace with nothing to give you but what you've given us. We give thee but thine own, whatever that may be. O Lord God, we thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Please make us more and more worthy of the grace that you have given us. That we might not bring disgrace to you, but more than that, we might do good to your name and fame, but also to those who are lost in sin. Strengthen us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, last uh, plenary. I want to talk with uh, what I'm calling the cult of gay Christianity. The cult of gay Christianity and your response. This is not to denigrate anyone. This is not to put anyone down. This is just uh, an attempt to try to be truthful in the light of the word of God. Now we've been talking uh, about how did we get where we are in terms of the culture, the church's failure to be salt and light. We would hope that you would understand the world, the flesh, and the devil. But there is something that is happening. It's affecting people that we know, even relatives. It's this whole concept that you can be a Christian and approve of homosexuality or transgender, queer, whatever. Uh, Where do we stand on this? Uh, We've tried to deal with gender confusion and gender blending in the last plenary. But this one, I want to say, the direct response of people who want to keep one foot supposedly in Christianity and one foot in the world's uh, attempts to explain the desire for transsexual identity, etc. Uh, now you need to know how to uh, respond to this, of what I'm calling the cult of gay Christianity. Now, what's the nature and dynamics of cults? We're teaching a class, I'm smaller, it'd be easier, but. Uh, how would you define a cult? We're not talking about another religion. Islam is another religion. Right? Denied the they deny the deity of Christ, but that's a, it's another religion. What in the cult? Uh, well, uh, some do, but I would say no. If we're going to call them a cult, a Christian cult, okay. They're not real church Christianity, but they come out of Christianity. For example, would anybody here deny that the Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. Okay. Uh, they why they they've come out of Christianity. Taze Russell was a minister, uh, didn't believe in hell, began to change things in terms of but they still claim to come out of Christianity. Is Mormonism a cult? Right. They have a different view of God. So Okay, how would you define a cult? Okay, uh, the nature and dynamic of cult is they want to remain, retain the name of Christianity, right? At least that's what Mormons, they used to say in the early days, uh, the other church is apostate, we're the only true church. Now they're trying to claim that really they're part their church, they have different theology, but etc. Jehovah's Witnesses, okay, they, uh, they always seem to find me out and, uh, Try to tell them, you know, you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. That's what 1 John says. In fact, I had a young man the other day say, Jehovah's the answer. I said, well, Jesus is Jehovah. Oh, no. I said, really? I think Paul thought that Jesus was Jehovah. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. You read Ephesians, and it says he quotes the Psalms. He led on high... A host of captives. Now go back to that psalm, I think it's 69, and read it and say, who's it speaking of? Jehovah. So either Paul is inspired or he's not. He can't have it both ways. So, it's, that's, so what's the structure? They have other authorities along with the Bible. Again, we're, we're celebrating, at least we were celebrating in, in uh, 2017 the uh, mark of the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. And where was the sticking point that they started with? We all know the five solas, but the first one was what? Sola Scriptura. Why? Because the principle is the Bible is the final authority. And so at that time, medieval Catholicism, and still today, Catholicism has what? Three. The Bible all agree on that. And traditions. For them, it's the councils and tradition of the church. And the third thing is what for the Catholic church? Sacraments Sacraments are part of it, but but the third source of truth is the infallible speaking through the magisterium. So there's there's your cultic form. So what do the JWs have? They have what? The Bible, Taze Russell, and whatever comes out of the Kingdom Hall. Mormons have the Bible, Book of Mormon, the Co- Book of Covenants, etc., and ongoing revelation in the Twelve Apostles, who, interestingly, uh, pretty wise marketing move, okay? Remember, blacks and others were excluded from the priesthood, but you know, after the civil rights movement, we've got to change. And all of a sudden, God changed his mind after, you know, a whole century. And they're allowed into the priesthood, okay? So, so that's the, the nature of a cult. And what I'm going to argue is that that's what's happening today in evangelical circles. I don't mean to step on anyone's toe, but here's, here's modern evangelicalism. We have what? Supposedly the Bible... And what's the tradition of men? I would argue it's the social sciences. And then, ongoing revelation in terms of, etc., you know, further revelations of God through the Spirit. It's not the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura. So most evangelical Christians today are moving toward a cultic view of Christianity. I'm not saying they're not saved. God knows... There's even Roman Catholics that are saved. There are may be someone in the Mormon church that's actually saved, but not believing what the church teaches. Because what the church teaches is not Scripture alone. Christ alone, grace alone, through faith alone. So, evangelicals have the Bible, and now what happens? is Social science is beginning to replace the Bible with what? sociology, psychology, anthropology, just as examples. So today, and that's why you're here, we're saying the Bible is sufficient, not psychology. So for most evangelicals, it's the Bible plus whatever psychology is coming up with, research, pop, or whatever. Church planting has been for 30 years run by what? Sociology. The modern church Uh, growth movement was sociological to the core. And missions, I don't know if you're up on missions, missions has been affected by cultural anthropology. Because anthropology has said for almost a century and a half, we western white Christians have no right to impose our cultural values on Africa or Asia or any other people. Now, I don't know, anyone heard of the insider movement? Most of you haven't. It's Western mystiologists who are now saying to people, you don't have to leave the mosque. Don't have to leave the Hindu temple. You can be a follower of Jesus Christ and not go against your culture. You can be a secret worshiper inside the mosque or inside the Hindu temple. Now, you all look puzzled, and you should. I have a CD with a bunch of Pakistani Christians on saying, in a nice way, keep your garbage out of us. If we have to die for Christ, we'll die for Christ, but we need to be faithful to the gospel. Keep your heresy away. Now, they say it nicer than me, but... You know, I'm from Philly, so I don't have any suave moto. I don't have any smoothness whatsoever. And then moving to Pittsburgh hasn't helped the whole situation. I got two blue collars now, one from Philly and one from Pittsburgh. By the way, uh, this is not me, but you Clevelanders can say, you know what Pittsburgh's problem is? It's a drinking town with a sports problem. <laughs> That's the description a Pittsburgher gave me of Pittsburgh. We call it Heinz Cathedral. It's so where all the worship and, I'm serious, that and Pian paints arena now with the, with the uh, pens. Anyway, so that's cults. And now we're having an out of evangelical Christianity this idea of the Bible plus social science because social science has been telling us falsely for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years that homosexuality is genetic, right? How many have heard that argument? Okay. yeah, That's old-fashioned. Okay. But that used to be argued. argument. And uh, here's the argument, biblically, that ends that. In Romans 1, Paul says it's what? Against nature. Whether that's created order or the fallen nature, but it's, it's against the natural order. Okay? And it's a punishment for sin as well as sin itself. Paul says, as we said earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, such what were some of you, including homosexuality. So you have to argue that all those sins are genetically determined and that the genetics get changed by regeneration, by justification, sanctification. So biblically, if you're going to listen to the text, you can't make that argument. Now, things have changed That's why I did the last plenary, because now the argument is switched. And I told you about that young man that I met. He said, please tell me. And he said, it's really interesting, even in the gay Christian movement, there's some people that take this approach. Well, this is the way we were determined, the old argument, and we just have to live celibate. Either through sin or whatever, we inherited this desire for same-sex attraction, and since we can't exercise it, biblically, rightly, we can't do that. The others are now coming around to the other argument, which is sexual identity is, they wouldn't call it this, but it's a personal preference. Personal preference that can change with time, desire, etc. So someone has made this uh, observation, which I think is very wise. You will either live according to your doctrine or change your doctrine to agree with how you live. Okay? So simply uh, repeat that again. Uh, It's not original with me. One, a person will either live according to his teaching, what he believes is true, or change his doctrine to agree how he lives. So homosexuality was always sin. With Freud, it became a mental illness. And back when I was younger, in the 60s, in Christian circles, the argument from InterVarsity and other groups that used to be sound as well, it's your constitutional makeup and you can't exercise it, but that's what it is. Okay? And I don't think that that's the biblical approach. So let's learn about the, this doctrine so we can answer the subtle uh, the, the, the the kind of smearing over of reality that's happening in this, what I call, new cult. The Bible plus the social sciences, plus new revelation. These are in your notes again. You're in a battle, uh, a life and death battle. we said it again and again today. Your first enemy is what? Your own flesh. That you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. This is against God's created order. This is against God's revealed will. You and I are not independent contractors who are left to determine our own lives and what we need to do with them. We must think biblically. Now, in this whole thing, let me read James chapter 4, 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire, you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That is very important in marriage counseling. It is important any time as Christians, with others professing Christians, we have a disagreement. We need to submit to the word of God and not begin to quarrel with each other. So we have that tendency, right? How many of you like to be right? (laughs) My wife's here, so I have to admit. Let me me tell a story on her. This is how good she is, okay? She one day goes, you think I'm stupid. What's going on on here? You're beautiful. You're the the mother of my children. What's going on? What's, What's the... No, no, you think I'm stupid. So when we have disagreement, who's right? This just proves women can be logical, very logical. If you are always right, that makes me wrong. And if you're always right and I'm always wrong, that means you think I'm dumber than you. Now, how can you argue with a woman like that? <laughs> she had me. And then it came. That was, the, that was the jab. Here comes the knockout punch. And another thing. You'd never ask me what the Bible means. No, you'd ask Jay Adams. Now, I know he's smarter than me, but you would never think that. That's why I sent her to seminary to get a master's degree so I can argue even more with her. But bottom line is, see what I'm saying? That's my flesh. I want to be right. Okay. The second enemy, of course, is the world, and and the world isn't. You know, we Tim was uh, in his uh, thing was talking about growing up with, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls to do right. How many of you heard that sort of? Okay, right? Okay, th- that's th- that's worldliness, right? I'm telling you, worldliness walks around with PhDs sometimes. You know what the old farmer said? Tim, Tim, I have to tell Tim this before he gets away or send it to him. You know what BS means? That's what the old farmer says in BS. You know what MS is? More of the same. You know what PhD is? Piled higher and deeper. <laughs> <clears throat> That's what the old farmer thought of education. Okay, not against education. I've given a lot of my life to it. But the bottom line is there's a lot of what I would call ignorant PhDs walking around. Now, for one thing, my master's uh, degree uh, taught me when I went to Temple. And I got that there's a lot of ignorant PhDs because I wrote papers and they'd say, "I wish I could believe this, but I can't." Okay. So that woman, you know, I told you about that story. <clears throat> I had one guy in uh, Dr. Masari in uh, uh, developmental psychology. Dr. Masari, yes, what is it? Uh, Dr. sorry. with what you just read, that would say that Kohlberg's argument for moral development based on Piaget would mean logically that Adolf Eichmann was not responsible for the Jews that he killed. He just had a developmental problem in terms of his psychological development. So I, actually, I never thought of it that way. We got talking later well, I'm translating, literally telling you what he said. Found out I went to, say, oh, a smart-ass seminarian. I should have known, asking a question like that. I wrote a paper for him on Freud, showing that Freud, who hated Christianity and Judaism, was into Kabbalic thinking, mystical uh, Judaism that saw symbols all through the scriptures. That's where Freud got a lot of his theory. So everything goes back eventually to a religious stance. So, again, you've got the world, and and I will say this, there are a lot of PhDs who really wanted to help people but were ignorant of how to do that. So the world, uh, we could go on and on, but just the media, higher education, the courts, everything is what? Romans 12, don't let the world, what? Squeeze you into its mold. And that's what's happening to evangelical Christians who come out thinking in worldly terms. Thirdly, of course, is the devil, right? How many of you believe there's a literal, personal devil? Good, you're biblical Christians, I'm glad, okay? Here's the deal. He's real, but in our circles, we don't really think of him, do we? We want to stay away from the wild. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke. okay? The bottom line, the devil's real, He's been defeated, right? Can I get a name for that one? He has been declawed and defanged at the cross. But brothers and sisters, he'll try to gum you to death. (laughs) If you get too close, he'll slobber all over you because he still wants to eat you for dinner and he will swallow you whole if he can do that. So we have these enemies, and you need to know, and you need to be battle-prepared. What does that mean? If you know anything about military tactics, uh, I've not been in the military, but I've studied some, you need to know the number, the strength, the weapons, the positions, the strategy and tactics of your enemy. Because if you go into battle not understanding who the enemy is and where they are, you're going to be caught in what Jesus warned us against. If you're going to go fight a battle and you've got 10,000 troops, right? and you're going out to face an enemy with 20,000 troops, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to sit down and figure out whether you can beat them or not, and if not, sue for peace. We need to face their enemies. And So I'm trying to prepare you for this because someone is going to come into your counseling room or to you as a pastor and say, why can't I do this? Okay. You need to be constantly battle-ready have to have a military mindset. Second Timothy 2, 3, and 4, we're supposed to think like soldiers, not civilians. We need to be fit, okay? Why? Because our souls war against us at times. 1 Peter 2, 11. You need to get your gear ready. Ephesians 6. And again, I don't want to go off onto this, but where does that armor come from? Jesus. You read that. They're all quotes from Isaiah. He gives you the breastplate of righteousness. He gives you the helmet of salvation. In other words, what Paul is saying is, every day with prayer, polish and put on your armor. Because guess what? Satan is the ultimate terrorist. He's the worst jihadist in the world. And if you won't put on the armor, he'll come into your bedroom and he'll pounce on you and beat the snot out of you while you're in bed. So depression won't keep you from the evil one if you want to hide. Put on the full armor of God. And so we need to be battle-hardened and wise. That doesn't mean mean. It needs to be gentle, but we need to be ready, generally and specifically in this area. So let's try to get ready. One. God defines and forbids sexual perversity in the Old Testament. These are in your notes. You can follow real quick. Grasp the original intent. We've said that. Male, female in a lifelong relationship. God didn't invent divorce. Men did. But the bottom line is God wants male and female as long as they both live. Dominion under God. Genesis 1. We're not here to vegetate. We're here to have dominion. We don't do it with the sword. We do it with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God but we're to take dominion, that we are to go out and we are to confront the nations and we are to see them one to Christ. And we have to get over this mentality Think most of us struggle with. Hey, we're only going to be a few, right? We're always going to be a minority. It's not the case. When you become the majority, it can become a problem, like we saw in the Roman Empire when Constantine made, uh, instead of killing Christians, he accepted them, became one. The bottom line is there are problems, but that's what we aim for. Everyone be impacted by the gospel. B, man, grass man's sinful perversion of the good gift. Okay, real quick, survey. I might have missed some, but here it is. Genesis 4, Lamech's polygamy. One ain't enough. I'll take two. Pretty nasty guy, too. Hey, you know, Cain had sevenfold. I'm going to kill this young guy for just dissing me. Okay? So there you have uh, polygamy, greed, which is the equivalent really of polytheism. If you're not happy with one husband, one wife, you are really a polytheist deep in your heart. You're not satisfied with what God's given you. Exodus 22, 16 and 7, uh, rape is mentioned. It's evil, it's a greed, it's grabbing what's not yours. Leviticus 18, 6 through 30, lustful nakedness. Uncovering the nakedness of close relatives and incest—it's mentioned in the Bible, Leviticus 20, uh, 1 through 27. Incest and other perversions, but very interestingly in that chapter, it's tied to what? Pagan worship. So, you know, God wiped out the Canaanites not because he was having an eternal bad hair day. He says, "Look, the the iniquity of the Amorites isn't full. They got 400 years." But when the cup gets full, I'm wiping them out. Now, that's very horrible in American ears. But the fact is, God says, some people are so wicked, I'm going to flood the whole earth and get rid of them. There are some countries that are so wicked. And every country that is not bound the knee to God has died. I mean, let's face it. Remember Reteviev and Fiddler on the Roof? Great Jewish humor. Horrible blasphemy. Well, if that's what it is to be God's people, let them choose someone else for a while. You know? Typical Jewish humor, but it's, 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 it's blasphemous. Why? God was laughing, but who died in the wilderness? <laughs> we don't like the food. We don't like this manna. Can, I used to think manna was bagels, but I figured that, you know, if that was bagels, it would kill you falling from heaven, you know? <laughs> The bottom line is greed was there, okay, with sex as well. Numbers five, husband's jealousy. I don't know if you, that's an interesting one. I won't go into that, but remember? You've been, with, you've, been, you've been with a guy. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. You can't live like that, can you? So what do you do? You go down to the temple, right? Mix up the brew of the thing, drink it down. If I've been with a guy, let my thigh swell up, okay? Uh, you say, well, what are the implications? Obviously, God's said she's innocent. You know, if I'm the priest and you come back the second month in a row, hey, she's been unfaithful, I'm going, dude, it's your problem. Okay? Um, So God addresses that, husband's jealousy. Deuteronomy 22, 5, 13 through 30, cross-dressing, gender confusion, accusations of premarital infidelity. The Bible deals with these things. Okay, Deuteronomy 24, man's hard-hearted desire for divorce. Proverbs 2, uh, 16, the danger of immoral women, flattery that leads to death. Uh, by the way, that's as modern as downtown Cleveland today, right? Silence <laughs> would... Standing at my window and I saw this young guy, strong like bull. And there's the adulterous woman. Catches him, comes over. Dude, you're like an ox going to the slaughter. You don't know what she's going to She's going to kill you. Okay, yeah. Just go through that whole book with your son, dangers of destruction, then in Proverbs 5, in the church. People, you know, before I was converted, some of my worst thoughts sexually were in church. You know, people plan escapades in church, okay? Now it's sad we have pastors hitting on people, okay? Bottom line. Okay? Death and destruction wait. They're unstable. This, this, this adulterous woman, she what? Increases the faithless men. Okay? Proverbs 6, the adulterer lacks heart. His inner man or character is missing. And this results in man's and God's wrath. Proverbs 7, Solomon's incredibly vivid, the one I just mentioned. Only solution, the commands of God, instruction of godly parents. Proverbs 8, wisdom versus folly, purity versus perversity, the battle of two women for the heart and affections of the young reader. Proverbs 22, 14, the mouth of the strange woman is a what? Deep pit. He who is cursed by God falls there. Now think about that. Sexual sin may not only be sin in and of itself, God may give the person over to it. And it's a trap. It's a trap. Okay? Sexual sin may be a punishment as well as punishable. Proverbs 23, the adulteress is a pit. She increases the treacherous among men. Bagad is the Hebrew verb, or deal treacherously, faithlessly, or deceitfully. Proverbs thirty twenty: the adulteress says, I've done nothing, remember Miss Piggy, I've done nothing wrong. Sexual perversion hardens and kills the heart conscience. Okay, so the, the, the Bible's clear. Those things are wrong. Now, we'll come back to it later because people take these passages and try to explain them away, which is what cults do. Second main point, God reveals the source of sexual perversity, which is the heart. The New Testament's clear. And again, going through this, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. Matthew 5, 15. Out of the heart comes what? Adulteries, fornications, theft, etc. It's a heart issue. Sexual perversion is the working out of the heart's perverse desires. Romans 1, sexual perversion is an increasing degeneracy is both sin and punishment for spiritual rebellion. Cyclical effects of false worship, God's punishment, sexual degeneracy, the cycle repeats and goes down. By the way, as an aside, if anyone tells you, oh boy, I don't know what came to me over, you know, I've had guys say this, I don't know what overcame to me, but I saw my daughter and, and you know, I touched her. Bunch of baloney. A guy doesn't wake up one day and go after his daughter. Always pornography or sexual perversion involved before that. So don't let people come in and try to give you a song and dance when they get caught. Okay? So, Romans 13, a lack of love and deeds of darkness. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. The guy caught in incest, get rid of him. 6. Don't know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. 7. All the stuff that's instructed there about a marriage. So uh, vast stuff for you. Using others selfishly, corrupting the body, close ties with covetousness, idolatry, reviling, drunkenness, etc. So multiple sins all involved. What's the solution? Such were some of you. You've been set apart, justified, washed uh, through Jesus. And then godly marriage and service to spouse. By the way, again, as an aside, don't let anyone give you this song and dance, which I hear often. Hey, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to marry than to burn. I'm burning. Get me a wife. And I look at the guy and go, forget it. You're jobless and almost useless at this point. You need to repent and trust in Christ. Don't come after my daughters because I won't let you around. You're not fit. By the way, here's the deal. I've counseled for forty some years. Being married does not guarantee a guy will stop pornography. Right? Can others say it? You know, by, that you can't. It doesn't. Beautiful wife, living. She's there, living, beautiful, and he's over here looking at pornography. Masturbating. Why? Here's my simple solution. I think it's because guys are lazy. And guess what? You know this, right, ladies? wives talk back (laughs) they have a mind of their own and you got to sacrifice to love them you use pornography what you can imagine that this person's in love with you and they're not this person's probably drug addicted doing this to maintain a habit there's no innocent parties etc so don't let anyone say boy if i get married my problem of lust will go away okay it's a hard issue First Corinthians ten, close ties to sexual perversion with idolatry and grumbling, in that gener- uh, wilderness generation. Uh, the keyed ones with the double stars are uh, extra important. Second Corinthians seven, cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles both body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So there's a sexual outward and inward aspect to this. Second Corinthians twelve, ties to sensuality and impurity. study these all later. Galatians 5, of course, it's the deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, all these things, drunkenness, they all come from what? The heart of flesh that's in rebellion against God. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. Note well the close tie of sexual perversion and covetousness and idolatry. Uh, Sexual immorality, which is covetousness which is idolatry. It's kind of interesting the way Paul there through the spirit ties up what idolatry which is worshiping the creature rather than the creator and covetousness. Why? I want something that God hasn't given me. That person or whatever that experience. Colossians 2, philosophy empty deception traditions of men versus Christ. Colossians 3, 5, ties between immorality, impurity, passions, and evil desires. Greed equals idolatry. So, again, explore that when you're trying to help a person. First, Thessalonians 4, abstain from morality, control your body, i.e. spiritual gymnastics. Failure is regretting, uh, rejecting the Holy Spirit's ministry to you. Again, I know I'm going very fast, but... Uh, Twelve there. 1 Timothy 1.10 Sexual perversion is contrary to sound, healthy teaching. 1 uh, Timothy 5.2. I use this, and this is helpful with men. Paul says there, treat the older men as fathers, right? So, afterwards, treat me like a father. Okay. Older men as a father, older women as mothers, younger men as brothers, and younger women as... But he adds a phrase. Anyone know what it is? In all purity. Why do you think he adds that? Because you're not supposed to lust after people at church. But besides that, most people don't lust after their sister, do they? Usually, Incest does happen, but typically what happens, right, in a family? She's not a woman. She's your sister. What do you do to your sister? You poke her in the eye, you trip her, you give her an elbow, you know, you treat her like... But then someone messes with her, th- then you kill them, right? Because you don't lust after what? Your sister's like. She's your sister. <laughs> and I think Paul's saying that. And I, and I tell that to guys, and this has helped some guys to change. I know I'm throwing a lot of extra stuff in, but... I may never come back again so you need that. Um, if you don't lust after your sister you shouldn't want. lust after somebody else's sister right? think about that you want your wife raped no wife okay. I should let her tell but she's been flashed twice it's not a pleasant experience you don't want that to happen to your wife, you don't want that to happen to your daughter you don't want that to happen to your sister and the bottom line is, in pornography, that's somebody's sister. Okay, now, I tell guys, there's only two kinds of women in the world. And you know what they usually say? Yeah, good-looking and bad looking. No. no, it's only two kinds, godly and ungodly. What do you do with the godly? You protect them. What do you do with the ungodly woman? You back in backwards like, like Noah's sons and what? Say, here, put something on. I can't talk to you like that. I usually that's my wife's job. I sick her after the girls that aren't dressed properly. Hey, I need to go to talk to that young lady, she's going to get in trouble. Right? We did that with one gal. She did get flashed by her teacher at school. Sending the wrong signals. Okay? So so again. Sisters in all purity. Hebrews 12, sexual pornography can have ties with bitterness and godliness. We had an elder's wife we had to discipline. She committed adultery. It, wasn't sec- it was sexual, but it wasn't sexual in nature. You know why? She was so angry at her husband. She said, I want to make him hurt. And she said, I know if I commit adultery that'll grind him. Now, here's the bitterness. And I'll pick somebody of an ethnic, a field worker that she knew that the husband would not like ethnically. So, bitterness, okay, can be tied to sexual issues. You committed adultery? Fine. I'm going to show you. i want to go out and commit adultery too. See? Sexual, yes, but it's, the issue is bitterness. Okay? So, um, uh, Hebrews 13, marriage is to be undefiled. Uh, God judges the sexually impure. James 4, spiritual adultery and pride, coveting, quarreling, pride, and friendship, uh, kind of with the world, sleeping with the enemy. 1 Peter 2, fleshly desires war against your soul. You've got to teach that to counselees. Your own soul's rising up against you to try to destroy you. You have to fight that through the power of the Holy Spirit. First Peter four six, one through six rather. You must battle your sin and the world's temptations, sensuality, lust, drunkenness. There's a lot of rich material here for you to study. Second Peter two Jude five through twenty three, description of heretical teachers. Their pride, arrogance, and often what? Sensuality. I trained a, an uh, A G assemblies pastor once, and his wife. Uh, good friends, and uh, they told it in their circles, they had to counsel some women, I hate to say this, but were passed from evangelist to evangelist. Sex slaves within the church. Okay? So, uh, again, heretical teachers, that happens even today. I can name you famous names. There's a name that if I mentioned you would know who his father was, a pastor, western Pennsylvania, is doing jail time because he was hitting on what he thought was a 15-year-old girl on the internet turned out to be an undercover agent. Famous names that you would know that are now out of the ministry. Why? Because they're hitting on people in their congregation. That is so horrible to not only commit adultery as a shepherd, but to pick on your own sheep. Okay, so again, that's, that's part of that. Uh, Revelation 2, 12 through 17, Numbers 31 with the Balaam thing. And again, there was, you think that, that we have problems now. Thyatira, there was a woman who thought she was an apostle. Pro- I should say prophetess, rather. And she was sleeping around. And God said, I gave her time to repent. She won't repent. Guess what? I'm going to put her on a sick bed with everybody who she has sexuality with. So, you think your church has problems? Corinth, you know, it was was not squeaky clean. This, first of all, this is again another aside. This whole stuff about we got to get back to the apostolic church. The apostolic church, it was pure. Are you kidding me? Ananias and Sapphira, Corinth, these churches in the book of Revelation that were real churches there in Asia Minor, it was a mess. It was a mess, and as uh, Tim Pasmer pointed out in his thing, God still calls them saints. I'm giving you time to repent. Okay? So there it is. There's the whole thing. The Bible summarizes Here's sexual perversion, and, and here's the source. It's the heart. Okay, So here's the summary again. Your flesh, First Peter 2, 11 through 12, self-worship rather than worship of God. The garden still impacts us versus the study of the first great commandment love of the creature more than the creator. Study the second greatest commandment. Immorality versus purity, the seventh commandment. Covetousness versus contentedness, the tenth commandment. Violations of the others, bitterness versus peacemaking, the sixth commandment. Rebelling against and ignoring parental guidance and sweet submission, the fifth commandment. We could go on and on, all of the commandments. That's the flesh desires, and we have to put that to death. The world lures Proverbs, the pressure to conform to the seductions of evil men and women, teen culture, hip-hop, sexting, pornography. I mean, I got 14-year-old girls come in. My wife gets all the girls now and women and kids. But uh, we're having a 14-year-old girl in a Christian school that was doing what? Taking pictures of herself and putting them up on the Internet. Okay? Okay. That's what we're talking about today, even in Christian homes. Uh, masturbation is on the rise. Women are masturbating almost as much as men now. Women are hooked on pornography as, almost as much as men. This is equality. Equality in sin, okay? The bottom line is the flesh, okay? The world lures don't conform to its demand and the devil he's real the ultimate terrorist we need to pray like a roaring lion. he seeks to devour us now real quick application in closing Uh, now you know the enemies of your soul and the core of sexual temptation secondly you can rejoice that jesus has defeated all can i hear all all three of your enemies. You've been nailed to the cross and no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what Paul says. That's true of you if you're a Christian. The world's been defeated and he rules over the battle as king for you. Remember Ephesians 1 is raised from the dead, he made head over the church and all things, all things seen and unseen. Jesus is Lord, he is king right now. The world hasn't got the memo, but God sent that message in the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus Christ. The devil is cast down and no longer can accuse you. D-Day is here. V-Day is coming. It's around the corner. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Uh, We now need to know how to fight until he called home or Christ returns, as we sung this morning. Now we must return to the Bible and end with this for the tactical instructions, okay? God's view is unambiguous, okay? I know most of you believe that. Creation is the paradigm, one man, one woman for life. The Old Testament's legislation is clear. Sexual perversion most often carries capital punishment. It's serious business. Today we don't execute people, we excommunicate them. And by the way, it's interesting. People should fear excommunication more than being executed by the state. Because Jesus said, don't fear them that can kill the body, but can't what? Kill the soul. You know who you're supposed to fear? Not Satan. It's God, right? After he's killed, the body can throw body and soul into hell. That's who you should fear. That's the Lord God. Okay? Uh, It's clear. The New Testament shows this. Sixthly, you need to have answers to the subtleties of the movement's arguments. And I'll just do them quickly. You're going to have to study this on your own so we can do the Q&A. Genesis 18 and 19. They will argue with you, homosexuality is not the sin. It's rape and violence and being non-hospitable. That's the argument that they're using, is that no, homosexuality was not the issue. The law... Violence in uh, secular law, right? If you rape someone, that's bad. But if you rape them at gunpoint or knife point, it makes it worse. Do you see the point? Violence only ups the nature of the crime, it doesn't change the crime itself. So, rape is wrong. I mean, anybody here think rape is okay? Rape is never okay. But violence only makes it worse. So the argument that, uh, well, it's not homosexuality, just that's the problem at at, the, you know. They weren't saying, come out here so we can rip these guys off and get money from them and not be good hosts. They said, send them out so we can have sexual relations with them. Okay? And so homosexuality is wrong. It's wrong in the law. It's wrong historically. And to try to explain that away doesn't work. Genetics will be the argument. We talked about the Romans one. Homosexuality comes from and increases rebellion against God and is contrary to nature. Fu says uh, the gospel is the antidote. First Corinthians six. We see that again. A uh, woman have to argue the genetic connection for all sins. Yeah. Such were some of you. It changes. Okay. So the genetic argument falls apart. Marriage fidelity. And we hear relatives saying this now. It's okay. It's okay, as, homosexuality is okay as long as you're what? Monogamous, faithful, okay? So as long as you stick with one partner, you marry them, you're going to be okay. Well, Romans 6, 1 to 2 and 15, we may not sin and expect to get grace. Objective sin cannot be justified. Okay. Something that God says is wrong can never be Right? Now, the opposite is true. Something that is not necessarily wrong can become sin, right? Romans 14, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Not because the act offends God, but because the heart attitude is, I know this will displease God, but I'm going to do it anyway. So subjective rebellion doesn't help. Objective sin can't be justified. While a rebellious heart can taint an activity that is not sin and turn it into sinful rebellion, a trusting heart cannot turn an objective sin into sanctification. The old uh, ethical issue that people would argue—the situation ethicist back in the '60s. Remember, well, your husband's in jail, in Germany during the war, and you know you go there to get him food, uh, and the guard says, if I, you don't have sex with me, you know you can't give him food. What to do? Well, you have adultery so you can get him the food. No. Okay? If your husband starves, he starves. But the bottom line is you can't make something that's sinful good because of the intention. For example, to marry a close blood relative, I I hope you, I hope you, do you agree with this? I had one friend once, I said, you know, you don't believe that uh, unless it's repeated in the New Testament, it's not forbidden. So I said, well, can you marry your sister? He so said, I didn't want to. I said, I didn't ask you whether you want to or not. I said, biblically, would it be offensive to God if you married your sister? He came back later and go, well, I guess to be consistent, you have to say I was wrong. But, you know, he's an extreme dispensationalist. And he argue that, you know, unless it's repeated in the New Testament, it's not valid for us. OK. Uh, anyway, so that's another argument for another time. But to marry blood relatives is sin. Leviticus 18 and 20. So to marry one's sister or mother is wrong, period. End of sentence. Fidelity to this forbidden relationship does not alter the sin. So if I'm, if I'm in a homosexual marriage, end quote, it doesn't make it right, even if I'm loyal. I mean, obviously, if you're loyal to Satan, loyalty is a good thing, but not to Satan. <laughs> See, so... The logic is is falling apart. First Corinthians five. Look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter twenty four four. Oh, well, anyway, change is possible. I have two examples. I, I know uh, the transgendered woman that became a man, that got married to a woman. You know, they got converted and they'd go off to the country of origin for the wife, and and go witness. And it's that's kind of interesting. But you know, they. They assumed that they were wrong because they were converted and she had to give up her trans- transgendered identity as a man. Okay? Uh, also had a man who uh, had same-sex attraction. In fact, he told me recently, I'm glad you told me this. I would have never got married to have a child. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, look, my job is not to turn you from a heteros- homosexual lust though into a heterosexual lust though." You know, so if you walk down the street lusting after guys and I get you to lust after women, eh, that hasn't improved. <laughs> and I said, your job that you have to ask yourself is, can I sexually satisfy one woman for life? So what do you mean? I said, well, whether you get pleasure out of it or not isn't the issue. You're supposed to love your wife. So he said, that made sense. I think maybe I could love one woman. <laughs> And they're married and they have a have a child. It's an adult now. So the bottom line, people can change. Now, if people are not ready to change, and people in gay Christianity, they're cultic. And what you have to do with people in cult is show them the truth kindly. Because, brothers and sister, it's not our truth, it's his. Right? Amen.